Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. Tommy Vitor. On today's show, we answer your questions about the midterms and everything else and hear what Lovett was up to in North Carolina last week. Can't wait to hear that. I don't know. Can you hear someone gaining five pounds in audio? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> test um, that. Before we dive in, uh, check out our interview with Barack Obama if you haven't yet. He had some good advice for Democrats. We chatted about the midterms, Russia, Iran, the Supreme Court. Lovett even made him laugh. Cancel culture. A couple, times. We, couple can- times. we hit cancel culture. We hit cancel culture. There's also a bunch of other great Crooked content from us over the weekend. I interviewed Rachel Maddow for Offline. Tommy released another episode of World Corrupt. Uh, you can listen to my final focus group with black voters in Atlanta over on the Wilderness feed right now. Love it. You have anything? We, we put out a couple of love it or leave it. Don't worry about it. Great. <laughs> nice. Check him out. We talked to Josh Shapiro. That's good. He was pretty good. Is he going to win? If he if he's not beating Doug Mastriano, we got some problems. We're gonna hold a vigil on election night. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Tells you that one. All right, uh, let's get to the mailbag. So, um, me on YouTube asks. That's <laughs> capital M E too. I'm, mm-hmm. It could maybe was an abbreviation. Who knows? All right, I'm in Oregon and scared shitless. We Dems are going to lose the governorship and other key positions. Why are young people or Dems in general, I guess, refusing to vote? Even though Dems have given them everything, especially here in Oregon, love it. Well, all right. Let's first of all, <laughs> no. First, no Dem has given you everything. <laughs> Not a place in this country where Dems have given you everything. First of all, second, uh, there are a lot of places where we need to do more to get young people to turn out to vote, to make them believe their votes matter, to make sure that the political system is delivering in a way that makes young people feel invested in the political process. But Oregon is a special case right now because there's this three-way election and, uh, you know, the, the the Nike billionaire honcho is throwing money into multiple coffers to try to stop a Democrat he just doesn't like. So it's yes. a little bit more complicated than just young people not turning out in Oregon. Yeah, I haven't seen any turnout or polling based on age that says it's like a young person. The, the issue here is there's three people in this race and there's an independent that's getting 19% of the vote and has raised... $13.2 million, which is more than either of the other two candidates. That's why this is such a, a crapshoot and a toss-up. Yeah, I mean, the fact that this is this independent run from a Democrat tells you that there's real problems in the Democratic Party, but yeah. that's so, a, not the proximate cause. So you got Democrat Tina Kotek, who's the former speaker uh, in the state legislature. She's running against Republican Christine Drazen, who's the former minority leader. She's the Republican. And then Betsy Johnson is the independent. She's a, uh, a former state legislature. Former Democrat. Democrat of uh, 20 years. And so um, Bessie Johnson is pulling right now about 20% of the vote, um, which is why it's so tough. And uh, she's raised a ton of money. She's raised more money than either the Democrat or the Republican. And she's sort of hitting the Republican on being anti-abortion. And she's hitting Tina Kotek, the Democrat, on she's sort of tying her to the 
currently unpopular Democratic governor of Oregon right now, Kate Brown, um, tying her to it, saying that she, uh, she's made the help make the state woke and broke, apparently. Kate Brown is a 40% approval rating, 55% disapprove. So that's that's challenging headwinds on top of the challenging Biden headwinds. On First, top of a bisexual to have a 40% approval, 55% disapproval. <laughs> on top of a state that has struggled with COVID so, lockdowns, increasing crime. There were some articles that talked about how they they set a record for the number of murders last year, and they might beat it again this year. There's affordable housing issues. Yeah. Uh, there's questions around homelessness. So there's, you know, I think we all uh, recall not so fondly the constant street battles in Portland. I'm sure that was tough to live through. Yeah. And to Lefitt's earlier point about Democrats not giving anyone anything, everything that they've wanted anywhere, because <laughs> what people most want is like, you know, being able to afford their rent, housing, cheap gas, uh, gas, groceries. And that is the problem all across the country. And for most people who aren't paying close attention to politics, but still vote, they look to who's in charge right now. And in Oregon, Democrats are in charge. Joe Biden's and have been for decades and have been for decades. So that is the challenge in Oregon. And by the way, this is not like this isn't just an Oregon story. We might lose a congressional race in Rhode Island that I think Democrats have held for many, many, many years. I mean, there's lots of weird things happening out there um, in in normally liberal bastions. But look, if you're worried about um, winning, losing the governorship in Oregon to a Republican, uh, help out Democrat Tina Kotek. Uh, She's going to come on Pod Save America at some point soon. And uh, you can donate to the campaign. You can go volunteer, organize, go help out. That's that's the best way to uh, get her over the finish line. I want to hear you read this next question. Oh, oh, from uh, Flubberpuff on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, Flubberpuff. Anyway, Flubberpuff wants to know um, our thoughts on the Utah Senate race. Tommy? So we got Mike Lee uh, versus Evan McMullen. Mike Lee voted to, uh, he supported Trump's effort to overturn the election. Not a good idea. Mm -mm. Bad. Love it. Uh, he's been doing this for five years and spam. he's got his phone on. It's my it's uh, a spam call. Mike Lee's approval rating Setting is, this to focus. is in the low 40s. Uh, McMullen's running as like a true independent at a time when I think everybody hates Washington. The latest poll has Mike Lee winning uh, 41% to 37% with 12 undecided. But it's look, it's creating some great content for everyone. Uh, Mike Lee went on uh, Tucker Carlson and begged Mitt Romney to endorse him. Probably not the way you reach Mitt Romney, by the way, via Tucker Carlson's show. It was interesting that he did that because I I, I thought that the polls, I'm like, who who knows? It's like, like you said, Lee's up by a few points in all these polls, which is, we should say Trump won the state by around 20 points both times. Lee won his last two races by even more than that, right? So Evan McMullen has no business being this close to Mike Lee. Surprising. And it's interesting because Democrats didn't, so Democrats just didn't field a candidate partly because Evan McMullen ran as a third party and they figured, all right, let's push all the Democrats in Utah to Evan McMullen. And it appears at least to be keeping the race close. And I wouldn't have thought it was real, except clearly Mike Lee's getting a little nervous if he's begging for Mitt Romney's endorsement on uh, on a Fox show. It's it's interesting. There's There has been a kind of strange a strangeness to Utah politics, a resistance to the vulgarity and mean-spiritedness of Trump that has not shown up, I think, in the general, maybe in part because of abortion, but that has showed up in in Romney winning um, uh, and that's showing up here. It shows up with uh, McMullen getting whatever he got, like 20% as an independent candidate. So there is something, there is a kind of conservatism in Utah that kind of reflects the 
that kind of answers the question we've asked for five years, which is why are more actual conservatives upset by what Trump is doing? And it seems like there is a contingent in Utah that is. What's fun about this is so Mike Lee goes on um, Fox, begs Mitt Romney to endorse him. Trump sees it and then attacks uh, Romney. And says, uh, Trump said Romney has abused Mike Lee in an unprecedented way. I'm not sure what that means. There's some subtext there that I don't really want to know. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And McMullen has said that if he wins, he um, like won't promise to caucus with either the Republicans or the Democrats, which is probably cool. why he's close <laughs> Yeah. in this in a very, very, very Republican state. Just win, buddy. Um, so that's what's going on in Utah. It's an interesting one. I would... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I would put more money in Bitcoin than in um, McMullen winning. Is I guess where I'm at emotionally. You know what I mean? But I would do neither mm. in terms of betting. You do, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. You're gonna put a bunch bet. of money in Bitcoin. Buy low, sell high. All right, Liz Conway on Twitter wants to know why are national Democrats not pouring money into the Ohio Senate campaign? Tim Ryan has a real shot. Says you, Liz. Hope so. <laughs> What do you guys think? I think this question sort of presupposes that there's just sort of a, a big pot of unspent money sitting around, which unfortunately that's not the case. <laughs> I do think as individuals, I have not been paying as much attention to this race as I might have been because uh, Trump won it overwhelmingly in 2020. I think he got 53.29% to Biden's 45.25% in 2020. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a very conservative state. Um, but the latest polling, there's a poll out today, USA Today poll on Monday, shows it's basically a tie with Vance up 47.4 to 45.4. There's also a debate tonight, which was brilliantly scheduled at the same time as the sudden death Yankees-Guardians uh, playoff baseball game. Mm, so tough. great timing there. Where but are the, what are the, oh, Ohio. That's what they, they, they changed be, the yeah, I yeah, from the, yep, from, yeah. from oh. the bad. But Tim Ryan's yeah. raised $39 million and spent 36.9. So, you know, he's he's been able to raise money. It's just that uh, what happens in all these races is Mitch McConnell comes in with this super PAC and they just blanket you with special interest money and attack ads. So I just gave to Tim Ryan today. And and he will be on this very program Thursday. We're going to have Tim Ryan on. Um, no, it's here's here's why it's hard. It's like Tommy said, there's, you know, Ohio is about 12 points more Republican than the nation as a whole. So Trump wins it by eight the last two elections. All statewide office holders are Republicans there now, with the exception of Sherrod Brown. Sherrod won by about 10 points, 9 or 10 points in 2018. But again, that was a year where Democrats nationally won the House vote by 8.6. So Sherrod didn't even really outperform national Democrats in 2018, a year where Democrats obviously had it's the wind year. at their backs. This is, a, this is a year where it's really tough. Now, is Tim Ryan running a fantastic campaign? Yeah, maybe one of the job. best yeah. Senate campaigns out there right now. If Tim Ryan was John Fetterman in Pennsylvania or running in Michigan, do I think he'd have a shot? Yeah, I think he'd probably be the favorite. Ohio's just a tougher state right now. Yeah, there's no, it's the, the, the question is not why are national Dems not pouring money into Ohio? It's it's why should national Dems pour money into Ohio versus Pennsylvania versus Arizona versus even Georgia. Wherever, Georgia. Um, and then also, you know, you put Ohio in the same kind of category as North Carolina, maybe Florida. And you say, well, we just don't know. Like if, if, if we're watching a, you know, the votes come in in Ohio and it's super close and Democrats are having a surprisingly good night, then yeah, we should have put more money in, but we just don't know. I don't trust any polling. Neither I just, I really don't. I don't but the other eye-popping poll I saw over the weekend was in Iowa, where the latest Des Moines Register Iowa poll 
has Chuck Grassley at 46% and Mike Franken at 43%. Can you believe that people in Iowa are concerned about giving a six-year term to an 89-year-old man? <laughs> I know. And look, that yeah, poll apparently was... the people in California didn't really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, that... <laughs> That again, they're all like, using Ruth Bader Ginsburg's trainer. Iowa has been going more and more conservative over the years. It's a challenging state, but like Ann Seltzer, I think is the best pollster in the business. The margin of error is three and a half percent, which basically means it's a statistical tie. You could also argue that Democrats should be pouring money into Iowa, and maybe Franken is doing better than others in that race because he's not facing the same, you know, onslaught of ads. I don't know that to be true. I'm kind of guessing because it's sort of been off the radar. But that's another one people should take a look at. Yeah. In all these races, I'm looking less at the margin at this point than the than the number that the Democrat has, because I think if you are in the low to mid 40s as a Democrat in this environment, when it could be likely that undecided voters end up breaking towards the party that has the political wind at their backs, which is going to be the Republicans in this year, it's going to be hard to get there. Yeah. I want to see like Democrats at 48, 49, yeah, 50. That's the... It's also look. I don't I don't think there's been a, a midterm where the like probability curve has felt as flat in a long time. Like the like we don't trust polling is less and less reliable. It's all based on modeling that you can't totally trust. Mm. There are these 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 like larger forces that put Democrats at a great disadvantage. There have been these election results that show Dobbs is pretty potent, but though maybe that is fading. We could wake up and there was this huge, massive untapped vote of people that came out to mm -hmm. support abortion rights that also could not manifest. We really, really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Well, what we do know in the in the uh, Tim Ryan example here is like, yeah, are there examples of the Senate candidate like really outperforming the national candidate in a state like that? Yeah, that's why Joe Manchin is senator from West Virginia right now after Joe Biden lost the state by like 30 points. Um, so it happens. It happens, which is why, you know, uh, again, if you uh, if you want to donate to Tim Ryan like like Tommy just did, then go for it and make some calls in Ohio. So yeah, and donate to our to our Senate fund. Support all these candidates. That's right. All right, uh, David Dennison on Twitter asks, why won't Katie Hobbs debate Carrie Lake? Good question. Good question. <laughs> it's confusing. Uh, it's, it's an odd one. Hobbs said she wouldn't debate Lake because Lake is a conspiracy theorist and didn't want to share the stage with her. That was the that was the reason. Uh, now, you know, I think strategists might wonder maybe it's also because Carrie Lake is uh, a lifetime TV anchor that the format could be her strong suit. She uh, doesn't seem to care much about the truth. She's just a fucking wackadoodle who attacks everything. And, and maybe, you know, they figured uh, that format would put them at a disadvantage. I don't know. My argument, if I were working on the campaign, would be lower expectations, just like Herschel Walker did because the press falls for that every time and then kind of just meet them instead of being called um, a coward by your opponent or too weak to debate or whatever it's been happening in this sort of like multi-day, multi-week news cycle. But um, yeah, I don't know. I am really struggling. I think to you should debate. I'm really struggling to understand this one. Like if you're running against someone who you think is a threat to democracy, act like it. Yes, she's extreme. Yes, she lies. Yes, she's good at lying. Yes, she's a conspiracy theorist. That's who you're running against. <laughs> That's the reality. Like, you can't expect people just to know that she's a conspiracy theorist or a liar. You have to make the case. You have to persuade voters. And to do that, you need to stand up in front of a huge audience and make your case and make a better argument. I just... It's really strange. Really struck me as being incredibly dystopian to see Carrie Lake in this sort of gauzy filter 
room. Dude, the Diane Sawyer filter. It's like you just wandered into the afterlife. It's, it's I, very I respect weird. the hell out of it. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like, I want to be shot through two inches of fucking cotton fiber. <laughs> I want basically to see two eyes and a nose, the Madonna TikTok filter. That's how I want to see. But just to see somebody in this very gauzy, like kind of beautifully lit room, lit like a Baroque painting saying that they'll only accept the election results if they win was the, just the most man in the high castle shit I've yeah. seen on CNN a long time. Yeah. Oh, but then, you know, uh, 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 Katie Hobbs goes on CNN and says, oh, my opponent won't do interviews. And Dana Bash is like, I was just talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just uh, it's, it's a bad yeah. call. It also is <laughs> like, is it outrageous that Carrie Lake wouldn't commit to accepting their election results? Yes. Then go on stage tell in a to debate and, and, yeah, and, and pin her down on it. It's weird. Um, some interesting things in the recent reporting about Lake. Her husband owns a production company and they record every interview that she ever does on their own, which is actually, it's standard practice. Like when I was a flack for Barack Obama, I had an audio recorder where I would get like digital audio of everything he did. But they have a camera and a boom mic trained on print reporters in the middle of that interview. It just seems like it's designed to be intimidating. Well, did you see from that Washington Post uh, long profile on Carrie Lake that because they, they had links to um, some of the campaign's videos, they 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 film the reporters interviewing yeah. Carrie Lake, and yeah. then they put it up on their and YouTube page, them. and they they cut it so it's like Carrie Lake destroys reporter. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and the, the irony of a hard right wing journalist who used to be a newscaster bitching about media bias. It's a lot, right? But it's not a lot if you figure out that the, the goal is to own the libs. The goal the is to be zeal of the converted, too. She was, I can, she said, I'm, I was part of the media. I get it. Now right, I'm, uh, right. yeah, That's, burning down the house. It's the, um, being an asshole is sort of like, like it's, it's the connection between like this authoritarianism and it's just like kind of just being a prick. Yeah. Like I'm a prick. That's what I do. I don't respect these people. I don't treat them with respect. I don't, that's because I don't respect them. I don't respect the role that they provide. It is just like another, another person taking advantage of the kind of right-wing permission structure that you just being a dick is politically advantageous. And just to, to show your base, uh, all your enemies. See, so look at all my enemies. You hate them as much as they hate me. I will fight them for you. That's why there's a way to turn that around, which, uh, love it. We were talking about this earlier today. Tim Ryan has a new ad out where it's basically like J.D. Vance's culture wars aren't going to like fix Bring Ohio. jobs back. Bring yeah. jobs back to Ohio. And like J J.D. Vance is obsessed with bathrooms and he's obsessed with uh, abortion bans and he's obsessed with this. And like, meanwhile, people in Ohio just like want jobs back, you know? And it's a very good way to like, like Carrie Lake being an asshole to the media is not going to fix Arizona. Yeah, it's just divisive, right? That That's the thing. People don't like that. They don't like divisiveness. It always, it's, it's pulls well over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's also like you see, that's why when that's why Jim Jordan, who has nothing to say about the January 6th hearings while they're going on, he says this January 6th committee hearing, it won't create a single job <laughs> that won't bring down a gas price. You know, that probably works uh, with some people. Yeah, for sure. It's for also, sure. You read these profiles of Lake and it's like, uh, you know, friends from Channel 10 knew her as a free spirited more than Bible loving. They say she was into Buddhism, loved her vacations to Jamaica, became swept up in the energy around President Obama, threw big parties, went out to gay bars and thrived on like cultivating a television audience. It just... Look, me. I, I think there's two parts of it. Like, she's clearly an opportunist and is just running in this moment and has figured out how to do it. There's also this sense that Trump has radicalized or was a lightning rod for for pretty radical political change in a lot of people in a lot of ways that we all just like. I, I fundamentally can't understand. And she seems like she's one of them. Yeah, I thought. I thought. <laughs> What was um, most interesting in that profile is when they said, "Is she an opportunist, or is she really been converted?" 
what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it, you still got to run against her anyway, right? It's the same thing that you're dealing with. Yeah, it also like, I think it's a little bit also naive about, I think the the way in which your interests, your motivations, your performance can kind of become one thing. You know, there's, can't convince somebody to believe something. Their livelihood depends on not believing. All of a sudden she found this and it is, you say something enough to an audience, to yourself, you start to believe it. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. All right. Acklefin2 <laughs> sure. on Instagram. Thoughts on black voters in Georgia voting for Herschel Walker? I hope they don't do it. <laughs> I think it's a bad idea for every voter of every color. My, that's my personal take. It's good. Good take. I Thanks. like that. Um, I will say that I just, you know, I, I, the wilderness episode that's out today is an Atlanta focus group. I did it with um, young uh, black voters, ages 21 to 35, classified themselves as moderate. They all voted for Biden, though. That whole group of people thought that Herschel Walker is extreme, unqualified, crazy. There were no Herschel Walker fans there. But they're like, what has happened to Raphael Warnock? What's he going to do? I wanna, I've want i heard a lot about him attacking uh, Walker, but I want to know what he's actually going to do for me. And like, is he just going along with Joe Biden or does he have got real plans? You know, because they were not that happy with Joe Biden. So it did make me understand why, you know, they had this, this debate on Friday night between Walker and Warnock. And on Twitter, you heard a lot of like, why isn't Warnock throwing more punches at Walker? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of some of what I saw in that focus group, which is they don't think that disqualifying Walker is the challenge now. They think it's actually getting people to show up and vote for Warnock, who are just sort of down about politics in general. Also, um, there was a, 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 a mini debate about how hard Warnock should be going 
on the accusations against Herschel Walker. And it kind of speaks to the fact that he kind of has to do both. That like, he's getting the people, he has the people believing that Herschel Walker is, doesn't deserve a Senate seat, but it's how does he close the deal for others? Yeah, I also just think that the, the, the path for him, for Warnock, is more about moderates and split ticket voters. I have zero hope that like conservative Republicans are going to stay home because Herschel Walker paid for one abortion, two of them, for any reason. They only care. They the, the sort of hardcore religious right only views their candidates as a vehicle to enact the policies they want. So if you vote their way, they will look past any perceived personal flaws or imperfections. That's how we got Trump. And you know, we've, we actually, we found out, it turns out when we beat that pedophile in Alabama, it's Roy, Roy, Moore. Moore. Roy Moore, we found the line. That was it. Yeah. In a good year though. One more thing on this, I would just say about black voters. Um, one of the panelists I talked to about the focus group was uh, Terrence Woodbury. He's a, a pollster uh, who's working on the Warnock race. And he said, Democrats have to be really careful who the messenger is attacking Herschel Walker. Because if it is, because he's seen in focus groups and in the polling they've done, if it's a bunch of white people attacking Herschel Walker, then specifically with black voters, um, they don't trust that messenger as much. Mm -hmm. And so he said that as, as sort of the national environment starts making Walker into a joke and turning Walker into a joke, there's a little bit of backlash there within uh, the black community in Georgia, yeah. which I thought was interesting. All right, Nick Brandon Jones on Twitter. Can you speak to the GOP's perceived trust advantage on inflation slash the economy and how Democrats can reverse it through 2022 and beyond? Go for it. I mean, uh, I think uh, we can either fix inflation or the economy. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I, I like their advantage is coming from the fact that there is inflation and we are in power. Yeah, I mean, look, Republicans have had a, an advantage on the economy for a long time in polls, and you know, there are time, there have been many occasions where Democrats have still won elections where voters tell exit pollsters that they still trust the Republicans on the economy. I think. With inflation as it is right now, that's more difficult. And I think the Republican advantage on the economy and especially especially on inflation right now is sort of higher than it's been in many years. The, is, the, yeah. The CBS poll uh, that came out over the weekend, I think, they asked what's causing higher prices. 63% said supply and manufacturing issues, 58% global factors, 47% said democratic policies. So not great. They also, they asked, uh, they're like, CBS said democratic policies have fill in the blank. 48% said harm the economy. 29% helped the economy. 68% said Biden could be doing more on inflation. Sum it all up. People are pissed off about inflation and they're blaming the people in power. And I think like so, so much of this is gas prices, but grocery prices are also staying uh, sticky and high. So, to, you know, to the question of like, how can Democrats reverse it through 2022 and beyond, aside from being able to control inflation when there's only so much any politician in either party can do... I do think like relentlessly hammering the message that Republicans are fighting for the rich and Democrats are fighting for everyone else, finding creative ways to break through with that message over and over and over again is the best path because Democrats usually do have an advantage. Even when Republicans have an advantage on the economy, Democrats tend to have an advantage on fights for people like you, fights for the middle class, uh, fights for fairness, healthcare, healthcare. And so when you try to reorient the economic argument so that you're saying that Republicans are fighting for the rich and Democrats are fighting for everyone else, Democrats usually do better. And I don't think we I think if you look at a bunch of ads, Democratic ads in the midterms right now, you'll see that message. But when you 
you know, get your news and information from the media and stuff like that, you just don't hear these issues talked about as much. And you don't hear that Democratic message breaking through. Yeah, I think that's right. And just Republicans are relentlessly hammering the Democrats on inflation. And I mean, if you look, Democratic ads right now have been more about Republican extremism uh, and abortion. Republican ads have been about crime and inflation. Yeah. And so it's a bit of been a bit of like two different arguments kind of driving past each other. And our hope being we can get people to appreciate the stakes on abortion and extremism, not not necessarily making as good of an argument on inflation. Sam Euplades on Twitter asks, uh, what are you most worried about for the midterms, Tommy? I'm worried about some sort of thing happening that spikes gas prices again. Like OPEC oh. came out the other day, they announced a production cut. They clearly did it to stick it to the United States. The Saudis led this whole effort. They did it to you know, get Putin's back in the war. I could see that happening again. Uh, prices go up really quickly. They don't go down very quickly. And the media covers it ad nauseum. And that makes me really worried. Love it. I, I'm still worried that the the moment of enthusiasm when we were passing the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, when there was the student loan cancellation, uh, then the Dobbs decision that we've kind of, that that has faded from memory and it won't, be strong enough now as people are going to vote that we haven't actually done enough to activate the big pro-choice majority to to um, turn out. That's my big worry. I'm worried about these secretary of state races and these governor's races and having a bunch of election deniers uh, win these races and then be in place for 2024. I still think yeah. that is a, a, a real big threat in these uh, in these midterms. Uh, so go donate to uh, to the uh, to the fund for secretary of state and AG races that we have in Vote Save America because super important right now. Um, Asin Ram on Instagram: Is it beneficial to have Democratic fundraising messages have the tone of desperation slash defeat? Tell me what do you think. <laughs> I don't know if it's effective, but it's driving me crazy, man. I mean, like, I never open these emails. I unsubscribe from the text like it's it's my kink. Like, I, I, I think it's embarrassing. Your kink is texting stop to people who text I, I, you. Yeah, yes, it is. I think the lack of targeting speaks to just an imprecise nature of the fundraising. I hate it. I think it, I, I think it like makes us look bad. Calm yeah, down. I don't know. I mean, I... I I know that we find it annoying, but I have to assume the people getting these texts are all people who have donated. Um, and so... It, Not necessarily. You, you get on these lists from like, people sell these lists, you donate to one thing, you end up on another list. Like it's not targeted. It's definitely not targeted enough. I do think it sucks and it has to assume, I have to assume it's having diminishing returns. Like, I don't know who is responding to these fucking endless texts. I'm sure I've got three or four while we were sitting here. <laughs> text stop, text stop, text stop. I asked Tara McGowan about this during an offline episode because she's part of this world, democratic strategist. And um, she said that part of the problem is that, that so many campaigns outsource this kind of fundraising to like a firm. And for the firm, like they just go by open rates and maybe like, you Volume. know, whatever, whatever you gain by in open rates and like some scared people donating five or 10 bucks, like you lose in credibility which the campaign would know if it was within the campaign but because it's just some firm that's doing it like it's not all connected and but so it's like what we're not realizing is that like the broader brand issue we have by spamming people with these crazy fucking appeals is like hurting us even the, even if like we're getting good open rates and a couple people are donating like okay. it also um it also just even a campaign is this strange thing that pops up and then disappears and either works, either worked or it didn't, and then it gets rebuilt. And it does speak to the need for like 
uh, a sustained organizations that exist between campaigns that like are thinking about this more broadly because our goal on the whole is to raise one giant pool of money mm. but we do it in this way where every campaign is reaching out all the in, independently and all these through these same overlapping firms and it is just relentless the, and there's also just like too many people that you know you run for congress against pick your boogie person right marjorie taylor green you have no chance of winning and that person goes super viral and raises like 10 million dollars that we might as well have lit on fire there are these scam packs like you saw the fetterman campaign the, their campaign manager getting really pissed about a pack that seemed to be suggesting that uh, by donating to them, you could help out John Fetterman. So like, it's just a really cluttered space. It's hard for, hard for us to figure out kind of yeah. like what some of these entities are. I'm sure it's really hard for donors. And like, of course you're going to check out if you're getting just annoyed all the time. And, and like, party yeah. you're supposed to support. And I know we point you all to Votes of America all the time, but like, I'm telling you like for me as a donor, I only go to Vote Save America because it's like, uh, there's so many asks or so many things. And I actually just like really trust our team to have thought through, like these are the secretary of state races where you can yeah. help. These are the attorney general's races where you help. These are the congressional races. And we put a lot of thought into it just because of this problem. Yeah. Um, all right, here's one for our, our worldo bro here. Uh, sure. Amanda on YouTube wants to know, you always talk about how the right in the USA affects other countries. Do you think other countries' politics affects in any way how politics happens in the USA? Probably, yes. I mean, look, the new conservative government in the United Kingdom put forward a tax plan that was so terrible that it nearly tanked the global economy. I think that impacted our politics. Mm. The Russians invading Ukraine has upended our elections and jacked up the price of gas and sort of upended the whole world. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's these new right-wing governments popping up in Europe. I definitely think they impact our politics. It's just sort of on more of a global macro level. And like you have like Tucker Carlson and all these goons going over to Hungary. Yeah, they're doing like CPAC uh, in Hungary. There's a, there's a CPAC version in Brazil. Uh, look, I mean, if, if there's a runoff election right now in Brazil, if Bolsonaro wins, it means that we will likely spend the next, I think, five-year terms down there uh, uh, deforesting the Amazon to the point where uh, maybe it never comes back. So, yeah, that would affect us. Yeah. Seems like Vladimir Putin's been affecting our politics for quite a few years now. For sure. <laughs> All right. On to some, uh, some lighter fare. <laughs> Wildman Hansen on Instagram. Favorite foods while you're on the road during events, like PSA live shows. All right. Here we go. Culver's and cheese curds in Wisconsin. Juicy Lucy's in the Twin Cities. Deep dish in Chicago. Uh, yeah. I'm. This is, the, I, this is the question Lovett did the most research yeah, absolutely. for. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'll say this. By and like, far. I know deep dishes like for tourists. Well, guess what? I'm a tourist and I fucking love it. Pequod's, Gino C's, Malnati's. North Carolina barbecue is great, but also loved going to Bojangles. And Austin barbecue, Philly. The pork sandwich at Denix is so good. Lobster rolls in Maine. And whenever I go to Boston, I love to eat in New York. Unbelievable. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Just a great place. You go to Boston, head right to New York. Incredible food. I'm not going to add to this. Yeah, I just wrote down boring crap because we never eat that cool <laughs> on the road. The only thing I really wanted you guys to do was get some uh, North Carolina-style barbecue. And we and did. Hush puppies. It and been, it was great. I uh, should have brought some to D.C. That would have been nice. Miss Becky 88 on Instagram. Favorite movies about politics or presidencies? Saw. <laughs> That's our current <laughs> political reality. You want to do? A, I have. A, I have a list. You can. You, you any? Any on your I, mind? I have two. What are your two? Election and in the loop. Yeah, in, in the loops on my list. Here's Solid. my. Here's my list. All right, the Hal Ashby movie, Being There with Peter Sellers and mm. Shirley MacLaine. Uh, when you see Trump and MTG and Herschel Walker, like I think of being there all the time. <laughs> being there is phenomenal. Uh, the Candidate with Robert Redford. Good one. Which is what happens when you get popular for being honest, and suddenly all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got a shot at this thing. Maybe I should yeah. trim my sails. Helps when you look like him. 
also helps when you look like him. And then there's the uh, the the '70s paranoid thrillers, All the President's Men, Parallax View, and Three Days of the Condor, uh, two Pakula movies, one by Sidney Pollack, phenomenal. If you've never seen, go back, go back and. If you haven't watched, if you haven't watched old movies, if you're not, if you've always been like, oh, I don't really watch old movies, start with the 70s political thrillers. The 70s, they're so good. They're okay. just so good. This is more about the media, but the Billy Wilder movie, Ace in the Hole with Kirk Douglas, it's from 1951. And you would never think a movie from 1951 about the media would be as prescient and relevant as it is, but you will be shocked to watch this movie. Basically, a guy named Ace falls in a hole. Okay. It becomes a media spectacle. Uh, this one reporter played by Kirk Douglas thinks it's his key to getting back to the big city and what he does to keep the story alive. It's worth watching. And then I said in the loop uh, and death of Stalin, the two Ianucci movies that I think are both worth watching. Death of Stalin's very good too. So good list. That's my list. Tommy, you got any? I said saw. Oh yeah. You have saw. Great. <laughs> he, sorry, sorry. Uh, he said saw. Yeah, that's right. No, you're right. Um, all right. Aklafin two on Instagram. What's Charlie's newest thing? Uh, my son's newest thing is role playing. So he likes to say that he is someone, whether a character on TV or mm-hmm. someone we know, like and that Bluey, and that, like he says, I'm Bluey, you're Bluey's dad, or you're Bingo, or he says that he's like a friend, and we're the neighbor, the friend's parents. So the other day, he um, he likes to wear these big headphones that like I have lying on the desk and he puts on the headphones and I think Tommy was just over and he goes I'm Tommy Solid. and I said who am I and he goes you're John Lovett <laughs> like, cool attaboy nice. cool cool nice. Um, play the hits Charlie spooky guardian Paulette on Twitter for the only literate one Tommy what are you reading <laughs> that's, hard, uh, that's harsh it's not mean to you guys tough, tough, tough. But fair. John, John read the question just fine I want to point <laughs> that out uh, I'm currently reading a book called The Great Successor the Rise and Rule of Kim Jong-un. It's by a reporter named uh, Anna Fifield who covered the administration for us. It's like, I am shocked at how good it is and how much she figured out about Kim Jong-un that I'd never seen reported before. So, I don't know, like tough guy to cover, you know? Yeah, beat. <laughs> yeah famously. Talk about access <laughs> journalism. <laughs> sh- <laughs> shoots, shoots you with like a ship-mounted fucking cannon if you don't like him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucked. <laughs> Yeah, great uh, book. All right, this, yes, nothing. Talk nothing. about cancel culture. Oh, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still slowly making my way through the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan after I read the Candy House by Jennifer Egan over the Fourth of July when there we all went on vacation six months ago. <laughs> six cool. months ago, and I, I went through the Candy House in like three days on vacation, and then I've been back to reality and getting. I got, very I got stuck in a, a Le Carre. I was in the Honorable Schoolboy for months and months and months. It's quite long. I'm always reading one nonfiction and one fiction mm-hmm. very slowly. The The nonfiction book I'm, I'm reading is called Rise and Kill First. About, Great book. It's, it's fascinating so about, about the Mossad and, in, and, and uh, targeted, targeted assassinations. assassinations in the early days of the, uh, um, the founding of Israel. And then in the reading, later days. In the later days. I'm not up to the later days. I'm still in the <laughs> early days. And then I'm reading The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. I love Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, I I just read a book by him. I think it's called Aurora, and I was and I read a um a, a project Hail Mary a while ago, and it got me on a science fiction kick. So I'm reading this. It's about climate change, and it's it's been really interesting so far. Cool. Uh, all right, uh, last question from someone on Twitter. Uh, what are the top two most important things Americans should be doing in the remaining days before election day? I'm gonna say donate and knock doors. Go yeah. to Vote Save America and go to Vote Save America. Yeah, go to. Here's the thing. Like, we know how many people signed up. A lot of people signed up, but a lot of you haven't. And so if you really just, if you're just just sort of like just inhaling the news for years on end, and then in the final month when you could actually make a difference, you put it towards fucking nothing, what a waste of space you are. 
Also, okay, well. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Just one more. Why one, are you paying attention if you're not going to do anything? Some words of encouragement. We are noticing a, a, a bit of a gap between donations, which are doing well, and the actual volunteering. Yes. And I get that it's much easier sometimes to donate, even if it's, you know, only $5, $10, whatever. But it, and it does take time to volunteer. But I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, that is what persuading voters at the end of the day, making those phone calls, knocking on doors, doing a phone bank, doing a text bank, like it is tough and you get a lot of rejection, but that is the stuff that really wins in the end. Yes. And, and it's really useful. And just to be clear before I get matched, there are people out there that don't feel comfortable for very legitimate reasons talking to people. Uh, I totally understand that. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people that could help and could text bank, could phone bank, could knock on doors and are not doing that. I really would suggest you just try it if you haven't done it before. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get you on that. Let's keep you on that positive persuasion track. <laughs> a lot of yelling little, at the questioners little, little good, and listeners good today. Cop, bad cop, never heard anybody. Good thing the 12 questioner was anonymous there. Yeah. Jeez. Um, okay. When we come back, speaking of talking to voters. Oh, yeah. Let me show. I'll tell you how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. so, so we're going to talk to, we're going to talk about Love It and uh, Love It in North Carolina. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. And we're back. Love it. You were just in North Carolina yes. uh, for uh, for a couple days. What, what, what'd you do there? <laughs> what are you two laughing at? <laughs> we just worked on this. What? That's it. This is leaving this in the show. Leave this in. I don't. I was so weird about this. I said, "What'd you do there?" I canvassed with State Senator Jeff Jackson, who's running for Congress. Uh, he taught me how to canvass in the South. I, ta- I talked to a bunch of local leaders and candidates running in some state races. We talked about Sherry Beasley, who is at the top of the ticket running for U.S. Senate. Her opponent, Ted Budd, is endorsed by Trump. So Democrats there are trying hard to turn out the vote. I met some college students from a local Christian college uh, who are registering young people and talking to them about reproductive rights. And we uh, we recorded the whole damn thing. See, that wasn't so hard. I didn't Ted, think it was. Ted. Bud. Ted Bud. I talked to Alma Adams, who has a hat collection and member of Congress. That's just a lot of hats. I don't, want, of, I don't want to spoil it. She had a lot of hats. I don't hats. want to spoil what you're about to hear. But she, but she has anyway, a lot of she had a lot of Bud sayings that were pretty entertaining. Cool. All right. Uh, without further ado, take a listen. Recording. Recording. Yeah. We're in, are we, are we in Charlotte? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I guess we've started. Why not? Thanks for having me. I'm here with State, State Senator Josh, State Senator Jeff Jackson. It happened one time. I said Josh Jackson. It's the first time all day that I said Josh Jackson. Well, you know, you could have been on Dawson's Creek. 
I am here with Jeff Jackson. He is running in a swing district here in Charlotte. What has been motivating people uh, as we head into the home stretch? So we knocked, I knocked a thousand doors personally over the summer. There was a pre-Dobbs door knock and a post-Dobbs. It just sort of coincidentally fell right at about the halfway mark and everything shifted. Not just how often abortion was named as an issue, but just people's anxiety levels. Everything spiked. Yeah. It feels like in a new way that uh, not since the Trump era, people were again reminded of how real the stakes are. It's pretty rare that Republicans actually get a big piece of their agenda done because they don't really have so much of an agenda. So this was a rare moment in which the court just executed on a big piece of their longstanding legislative agenda. As it turns out, it's enormously unpopular and the political backlash is incredibly broad. Hi, I'm John. What's your name? Will Nisbet. Uh, so we uh, uh, we just canvassed on your door and you're planning to vote? I am, yes. Uh, what do you think of his style of, of, of knocking on doors? He kind of doesn't do a hard ask. He just says, do you need anything? Does that work for you? It's I'm a little biased here. I was already going to vote for Jeff, but I would say I long enjoyed his style. Wow. Okay. And do, you, and do you think that there's anything wrong with, say, a more aggressive, like, hey, are you voting? Are you planning to vote? Can we get your vote? Where's your, where's your vote? Do we have your vote? Do you think that that is effective? I wouldn't say so. The strategy is politeness, but it's also just who I am as a human being. So I think the difference here might be one of personality, which I fully respect, yeah. but I think I got to be what I got to be. He's telling me that I got to bring more of a Southern energy. So I guess I'm supposed to be polite and passive aggressive. We're happy to have you as a guest. <laughs> We have certain expectations. <laughs> I'm doing people look by comparison. Look how good you look when we walk up to these doors. Do you think I'm not helping deep down? Do you think I'm not helping? Do you wish I weren't here? When I do try to, as I say, close the deal, people do give me a look like, oh, that's aggressive. Yeah, like that was maybe unnecessary. Right. I think 100% of people have done that. But so far, you've decided not to take the cue. I'm not taking the cue. I'm not taking the cue. We came here to close some, get some votes. All right. Not here to make friends. I'm here to get votes. Uh, I'm here to make friends. <laughs> Just for the record, Jeff Jackson here to make friends. He's here to make friends. What do you think people listening that aren't from North Carolina should know about like sort of the political shift that's happening in North Carolina right now? We have a lot of people moving to North Carolina every single year. So we're getting... We have a higher percentage of college graduates every single year. This district I'm running in right now, I would have been toast here 10 years ago. It would have been a jump ball as of about five years ago, and it leans our way now. That's because of the growth that we've seen. People are sweeping on North Carolina because of some last, some Senate races in the past. Y'all, this is going to be one of the key swing states over the next decade. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Congresswoman Alma Adams. Now, look, we're going to talk about politics, but uh, it's come to my attention that you, I believe you have a collection, and I found this out unbelievable, that you have 50 hats. Is that right? Got 1,400. Wait, that's... <laughs> 1,400 hats. So what, you, wear one, you wear one a day, and then every couple of years you, you get back to the beginning? If you get a new hat, do you get rid of one? Are they sorted by color? If someone gives you a hat as a gift, you have to pretend to be excited? Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Listen, I'm in the market for an absolutely ridiculous church hat. I want I want to turn every head. Oh, look at that thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. How about that? Yeah. That's nice. That lets people know that you're not messing around. I've been focusing too much on the hats, and I can see that now. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing on the ground in this uh, in this Senate race? Well, it's become a very nasty race. Um, unfortunately, um, Ted Budd is slinging mud, and we don't we didn't expect much more. But I think they're just afraid because um, Sherry Beasley is on his tail, and I believe she can win this race. But when people ask me, "Well, you think Sherry can win?" I said, "Listen, it's up to us. 
And it's not just about you going to vote. If you tell me, well, I did my part because I voted, you haven't done your part. You, you do your part when you talk to your family and people you don't know about why it's important to make sure that Sherry Beasley is the one that represents uh, North Carolina. Because this bud's not for you. We're going to just nip him in the bud. We're going to nip him in the bud. <laughs> bud slinging mud. I, I caught that one, too. I caught that rhyme earlier. We, went, we brushed by it, but it landed. A lot of the national attention has been on the Pennsylvania race between uh, Fetterman and some out-of-state doctor, uh, uh, Arizona. Uh, North Carolina hasn't gotten the same level of attention. What is the what is what has shifted that that makes you think that that we have a real chance? People are not only excited about um, getting the first black woman from North Carolina in the U.S. Senate, but we need the Senate to make sure that we're able to. Uh, secure for the people what the people need. How much of an impact have you felt on the ground around the Dobbs decision? Uh, how much has that motivated people, made people understand the stakes? Well, motivated me enough to get arrested, right? You know, I got, got arrested. I'll get arrested again. I do think my my granddaughter should not have fewer rights than her than her mother had. Uh, and so that issue in and of itself is really pushing people to get out. Congresswoman Alma Adams, thank you so much for your time. It's so good to talk to you. I'm here with Rachel Hunt. Uh, uh, Rachel, you mind telling people about your race? So I am currently a representative in North Carolina House, and I'm running for the North Carolina Senate in a, one of the toughest um, districts in Mecklenburg County and, and in all of North Carolina. So, you know, it's going to be a tough race. We're excited. So one of the things that we see across the country is there's a sense that it's a really tough year for Democrats generally, but then there is this engagement around Dobbs that maybe isn't necessarily manifesting in all the polls, but that you might see if you're talking to people face to face. Are you seeing that? Yes, I am seeing that. Um, but, you know, we all know it comes down to turnout. And if we can get younger people and people who don't normally vote out to vote because of the Dobbs decision, then it's going to be great. Jeff Jackson. That's a smooth guy. He's smooth. Sure yeah. is. We went door knocking with him and he didn't ask anybody for a vote. He just says, can I help you? Yeah, I don't ask for votes either. I just say. What is going on down here? I'm volunteering with Rachel Hunt, my favorite, most favorite candidate ever. And my name is Mary Clans. Young women, women of my age, fathers, men talking, bringing up abortions. And I knocked on the door and a guy opened the door and I said, what's your hot issue? Abortion. I have three daughters, and I do not want them to have to endure some of the things we hear about. I was amazed. And the second one was gun safety. So it's really, it was really revealing to me. Hi, what is your name? And can you tell us a little bit about like this town that we're in and like what, what you're doing here to organize in this rural part of uh, North Carolina? My name is Carolyn Barringer, and we're talking about the school systems, we're talking about the hungry, we're talking about people that's not going to have any housing. The town is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great town, a hometown, when you talk about hometown. And are you, uh, and are, are you hopeful about uh, Sherry Beasley winning in, in North Carolina? What do you think? I am very, very hopeful, very hopeful for her. You're going to get this done? Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. 
Okay. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Yes. All right. I am here uh, here in, what's this county called? Oh, it's Cleveland County. Cleveland County, yeah. We have the leaders of the college Dems from Gardner-Webb College. Hi, what's your name? My name's Emily. I'm the president. I'm Michaela. I am the communications director. I'm Justin. I'm just on the team. You're not just on the team. You're the heart and soul of the team. Take a compliment. Do you, do you struggle to take compliments, Justin? Apparently. I, just, I do too. They rick it. You're like, oh, no, no, no. But you got to take the compliment. All right, let's focus on the issues here. We have this huge Senate race, a lot at stake. Can you talk about some of the some, some of what's been happening on campus? Yeah, so we actually just had a voter registration drive, and we actually co-hosted with the nonpartisan organization, You Can Vote. It's because a big part of our movement on campus is just getting people out there to vote, getting the youth to stand up and take civil responsibility and go out there and vote. Michaela, how big of a deal, how much has it changed in terms of just how much people are focused on politics uh, when the Dobbs decision came down? I think abortion was always like a hard topic for people, but to have the option of like the Supreme Court saying, well, it's a state's rights issue, really like put a fire under a lot of people. Is Gardner-Webb a religious school? Yeah. It is a Baptist Christian school, so stuff like that is a little hard to talk about. But at the same time, if you frame it as like freedom, that's what it is. It's a freedom to choose what you do when you go to your doctor's office. Most people are going to look at that as it's a freedom that I'm losing. Like, it's scary. Especially, we live in the South. So North Carolina right now is about the only state that doesn't have regulations on it. If you go 25 minutes on the road, but eight minutes, you hit South Carolina border. It's real. Are you going to turn people out to elect Cherry Beasley? Are you going to get it done? Uh, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. <laughs> we're going to get it done. Hell yeah. We just finished uh, a lovely day of canvassing with Jeff Jackson. He's running for Congress. And I learned a lot from canvassing with you, to be honest. You know, if you're listening to this and you haven't gone canvassing before, if you've been afraid to knock on doors, people are so nice. And face-to-face canvassing is the most effective way to persuade somebody, change somebody's mind, get somebody who wasn't going to vote to vote. So go to votesaveamerica.com and sign up. We're in the home stretch. Believe it or not, you may have been paying attention for the last year, but a lot of people are just starting to pay attention right now. And you can be on their doorstep helping them figure out what they need to do to vote and to make sure they know the stakes in the election by them. So uh, sign up. Thanks to John Lovett for giving us that <laughs> yeah. live report from North Carolina today. Yeah, I was in the field. In the field. Field report, whatever. Yeah, sure. And uh, we'll talk to you all on Thursday. Bye, guys. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Haley Muse and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineered the show. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Sandy Gerard, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash podsaveamerica. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. <laughs> 